Revelation can often feel distant from our daily lives. We read it and it can fill us with all these strange and scary images. But Revelation's a deeply practical book. Are you feeling discouraged this morning? You need to hear Revelation 5. Are you feeling distressed this morning? You need to hear Revelation 5. Are you feeling directionless, lost? You need to hear Revelation 5. Are you feeling weary this morning? tired of life you need to hear revelation 5 are you feeling distant maybe from god maybe from others you need to hear revelation 5 are you feeling confused about what's happening in your life you need to hear revelation 5 do you feel like giving up whatever that looks like just you've had enough you need to hear revelation 5 remember what we thought about last week in the book in revelation 4 The book of Revelation isn't written as a puzzle to us to work out the exact time of Jesus' return. It's not there as some kind of brain teaser for us to try and figure out. No, it is written to a real church, to real people struggling in the first century. They were facing horrendous persecution from the Roman Empire for not worshipping Caesar as Lord. They were spiritually in a mess. We've just seen in Revelation 2 and 3 how the churches are doing, and it is not a pretty read. They are struggling spiritually. They're in a mess spiritually. Uh, They're facing persecution, and they must be just thinking, well, what's the point? So Revelation is given this vision of um, what is happening now in heaven, heaven revealed, and what will happen to encourage these Christians to keep going when they just want to give up. They're spiritually all over the place. Uh, They are scared for their lives. And so this vision is given. And look at the history of the church to see its impact. The early church, you know, their small weakness of them, and yet they turned the world upside down. Which is still going, the Roman Empire or the Church of Jesus Christ? These two chapters reveal, they peel back, they show us behind the scenes of, of heaven right now. And really, my prayer for me and for us as we look at this is that we view the world through the lenses of Revelation 4 and 5. So everything we see around us, we need to look at with this in mind. So we put the glasses on, as it were, and and everything is is tinted by Revelation 4 and 5. And that's not going to happen automatically, because automatically what happens? We view the world by the way that everybody else tells us to look at it. It's chaos, it's a mess, and there's no hope. But when we come to Revelation 4 and 5, we get glorious hope and real help for us to keep going. At the end of chapter 4, we've just been told that the one on the throne is worthy, verse 11, of all to receive glory, honour, power. You created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The all-powerful God is on the throne. So what happens next? Well, here's four things in chapter 5 to help us to keep going, to encourage us this morning. The first is this, there is a story. There is a story, verses one to five. Look at verse one. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll. There is a scroll and it is written on front and back. That was quite unusual. The scrolls were usually written on Um, just on one side of the paper because of how they were made it was smoother on one side than the other and so to have been written on back and front for a scroll was very unusual but this is showing us this is a scroll that is complete and it is finished and it is all there 
It is sealed with seven seals. Symbolic language like we see in Revelation. Seven is the number of completeness and perfection. So here is a scroll. The equivalent for us today is a book. And it is sealed shut. But it is full and it is complete. It is sealed, which would bring to the mind people reading this, this is an official document, like a legal will. This is an important thing. And, and as we saw last week, all of our understanding of Revelation really to interpret it comes from the Old Testament. That's how we understand what's going on here. And we see in Daniel 12 and in Daniel 7, this book, this, this scroll that is opened and a scroll that is shut. And it is sealed in Daniel's vision. And as we read on in chapters 6 and 7, we start to see that this scroll is actually the purposes of God from the resurrection of Jesus to his return. This is the the story, the big picture. This is the destiny of the world. This is your destiny. So it's God's story, it is your story, all wrapped up in this complete scroll that is there at the right hand of him on the throne. This is God's story, how he's going to fix the brokenness of this world, how he's going to sort out the mess, what's going to happen. And so, verse 2, we get the, the strong angel saying, who is worthy to open the scroll, to break its seal? That is, once you open this legal document, who can bring it to pass? Who can accomplish these plans? Who can bring this story to its proper ending? Who can do it? Who is worthy? And then, verse 4, verse 3, sorry, we realize John says, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, no one from the past, present, or the future, no one is able to, no one is worthy to open the scroll and look into it. So at the moment, there is no purpose, there is no story, we are just lost, and there is no hope for anything, and as a result, John then, verse 4, begins to weep loudly, because there's nobody who can open it. That is, what's going to happen? We are lost, there is no story, there is no hope, we are in despair, and so John weeps uncontrollably, loud weeping. Now, let's just take a step back for a moment and see what this is showing us. If you remove God from the story of the world, if you take God out of your life, then ultimately, what are we left with? We're left with hopelessness and despair. There is no plan. There is no goal. We are just spiraling out of control and And really, we are headed for darkness, unless we can somehow pull ourselves together as a human race. And time and time again, history just shows us we fail. So when you remove God, it's a mess and it's hopelessness. And that is what John is experiencing here. He sees the hopelessness and the despair of life without God, without a story, without a plan, without a sovereign God. Now, perhaps that's you this morning, Perhaps you're living your life with God on the side, with God kind of ignoring him. And the consequences of that is there is no purpose, there is no, there is no plan, there's no story. It's just one day to the next. All the burdens come on you because there is no bigger plan or thought. And that is a dark place to be. Maybe that is why we are, we are so good at distracting ourselves in, our, in the 21st century, aren't we? There are so many ways for us not to really think through the consequences of not having a a, a big author of a big story. From the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, we can distract ourselves with noise, with images, 
uh, with, with sounds, you know, with all of it, we can just look at our phone at any moment and have access to wherever we want. We can watch uh, as much TV and box sets and Netflix or whatever. We can um, listen to music, we can read the books, and we can just drown our mind with this background noise to take us away from the thought, if there's no God, there's no plan, there's no hope, ultimately. And it all boils down to me, my decisions, and if I mess it up, then I've had it. You see, there is despair when you remove God, and John experiences and tastes that, and he weeps loudly. There's no one to open the scroll. But then, this crying, this weeping is interrupted. You see verse four, uh, verse five, sorry. One of the elders, remember the elders were all, 24 elders surrounding the throne in chapter four were representing all the believers uh, in past, present, and future, really. And there he says, I, I began to weep, he said loudly, but weep no more, more verse five behold the lion of the tribe of judah the root of david has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals somebody is worthy john weep no more because the lion of judah is here the lion of judah is a reference from genesis uh, judah one of um, the tribes of israel remember one of his descendants would be the promised one would be the Messiah. The Lion of Judah is here. The Root of David. That is a descendant of David. He, the King, the Son of Him, will come. So who is this speaking of? The one in the line of Judah, the one in the line of David. It is Jesus. He is the Lion of Judah. There is one powerful enough, glorious enough, worthy enough to open this scroll and bring to pass everything that is in it. So let's stand back before we look in detail at um, who that is and, what, and who Jesus is. Do you see what this is showing us? There is a story, there is a scroll, there is a book. That is, God has a plan. And it is not left locked away without anybody to be able to accomplish it. But Jesus comes and he is worthy. He is worthy to open the scroll. And that means that there is a purpose, that there is a plan, that this world isn't spiraling out of control, that there's somebody on the throne and there's somebody able to accomplish this plan. As the scroll is opened in chapters five and six, we see, uh, sorry, in six and seven, we see that this scroll isn't something that is just everything's uh, happy and everything is great. No, no, there's trials, there's tribulations, there is judgment, it is hard. But through it all, it is not random, it is not just chaos, but it is part of God's story for the world, how to put things right. And so through all the trials and tribulations, to know that there's a big picture, to know that there's an author can help us to keep going. It can help us to kind of find our feet when everything seems to be falling apart around us. Knowing the plan is there that includes the struggles, includes the pain, will keep us, won't it, from the extremes. One extreme is to think that everything's going to be great. Kind of this false romanticism. You know, this um, hyper-naive kind of um, optimism. We won't fall down that um, pit because we know there will be struggles within a world that is fallen and broken. So we won't end up then being cynical, saying, well, everything's, um, everything's going wrong, everything's going to despair, there's no hope at all. It keeps us from both those and to be realistic and say, you know, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be trials, but God knows what he's doing and we can trust him through it all. So John goes from weeping to joy in a moment because he sees that there is one who is worthy. But the first thing to keep us going here and the first thing to help us 
as we navigate through life is there is a story we need to rest in that this morning there is a story the second thing is this there is a hero in the story who is worthy to open this scroll who can open the book look what we're told here is somebody who is worthy he is the lion of judah the root of david that has conquered he can open the seals someone can bring god's story to pass someone is able to fix this world someone is able to bring all this to happen it's the lion when you think of a lion what do you think power strength you know authority fierceness you know the images of aslan isn't it and not being a tame lion this power this might this is jesus the lion and so john turns and he's looking forward to seeing this one who is this lion of judah but look what he sees between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders i saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain so instead of seeing the lion that he expects he sees a lamb now remember this is picture language so it's telling us truths about jesus uh, that that are shown through these pictures of a lion a lamb so somebody was strong and powerful and has authority the the king of the jungle as it were but then he sees a lamb that was slain so what's going on here well a lamb in the bible is full of rich uh, old testament language in the passover when um, god's people left egypt what happened the oldest in each family was going to be killed unless there was a lamb that would take their place a substitute so here is the substitute the lamb of god and in isaiah 53 we see that jesus the messiah was going to be led like a lamb silently to his death so we're speaking of jesus who is going to die so this lion is also a lamb and we're told that this lamb has seven you see that in verse um uh, verse six sorry i'm looking at the wrong chapter uh, in verse yeah verse six still verse six uh, it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes again don't try and draw that you know if we're doing um coloring in for the sunday school you're not going to kind of try and draw this weird it would give them nightmares wouldn't it a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes but, but the idea is it's telling us it's symbolic so horns is always the, the uh, meaning power and so here is somebody who is perfectly seven powerful the eyes what are they seeing well there's eyes everywhere again we saw this last week he knows all things that are happening so he's all knowing all powerful jesus is worthy to open the seals he can bring it to pass because he's the lion and he's the lamb who sees and knows and is powerful and at the center of all history is the lion and the lamb the one who knows all and sees all and can accomplish all now we'll look at the songs in a bit but look at verse 9 one of the songs they sang is worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for god from every tribe and language and people and nation so at the heart of heaven remember this is reality peeled back for us this is what's really happening at the heart of everything there is what jesus who is slain the all-powerful one who was was killed why so that we could be ransomed so that we could be bought so that we could be saved and rescued so at the heart of heaven is the gospel really is the the hope that we have that's why we sing about the cross that's why we want everybody to know about the cross because at the heart of reality this is the greatest news there is why is it such great news well think here is the god of heaven that we saw in chapter four 
the God of heaven with his thunder and lightning all around him, the glory and the brightness and the greatness, the living, four living creatures who are there worshipping him, this terrifying God in one sense. How can we approach him in all of our faithfulness? The one who is holy, 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 and we are unfaithful, sorry, not faithful, we are in all of our unfaithfulness and his goodness, his holiness. How can we draw near through Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain? He took uh, the blame for us. You know, when you think of Genesis again, in Genesis, when uh, mankind rebelled against God, God put on the, the gate to Eden, as on the way into Eden, this flaming sword. And there was the flaming sword saying, look, if you want access back into my presence, then you have to go through the sword. And that's what happened to Jesus. He went through the sword for us. We don't deserve to have access to God. But Jesus does, and he did that for us. So, how can we, in all our failure and sin, approach God and be have that relationship we were created for because Jesus died and took our place so that we could be forgiven so that whatever we have done can be forgiven and that work is complete that is why they're saying look he is slain and you've ransomed your people it is done it is finished stop trying to add to it there's nothing for us to add to it because it is done there is a there is a hero in the story and it is Jesus and he is worthy to open the scrolls but also he has saved us and we can praise him and rejoice in that. He died and rose victorious, overcoming sin and death and Satan. He's the conquering lamb and his death and resurrection prove that he's the one worthy to accomplish God's will and to open this scroll. So at the center of history is the cross. Jesus' resurrection, death and resurrection is at the heart of that. So do you see why it needs to be at the heart of everything we do as a church? That's what we need to come back to. We can get distracted by all kinds of things and a lot of good things that we can do, but ultimately this needs to be at the heart because it's at the heart of heaven. Do you see why it needs to be at the heart of our lives? Because it is at the heart of heaven. We need to sing about this. We need to enjoy this message. We need to tell each other the truth of the gospel again. The gospel is still true today. God loves you. You are forgiven if you're trusting in him and you're on your way to glory and God is in control. All those things we can tell each other, the gospel is still true. This is great news. There is a story. God is in control and there is one who's worthy to open it. There is a hero in the story. The third thing to encourage us to keep going is this. There is a shape to this story. Now, it's a big surprise, isn't it? John hears that the lion is the one worthy to open the scroll. And you think, great. The lion, a powerful animal, a mighty animal. That sounds like a, an animal I want to get behind. But then he turns, and what does he see? Who is the destiny of this world kind of in the hands of? Who is able to do it? And he turns and looks, and it's a lamb. Now, of all, if you're going into battle, you know, if you were an animal... <laughs> and you had a, a captain animal, who would you want it to be in, the, in leading you into battle? Would it be a lion or a lamb? I think we'd all choose a lion, wouldn't we? Fierce, ferocious, but here's a lamb. And not only a lamb, but a lamb that has been slain. So one that is bleeding, one that is, is, has, has wounds and is weak. Now what's going on here? God is saying, look, I am going to fix this world and bring my story to pass through the lamb. Now, this is reality. He's shown us a glimpse of heaven. So the way to glory, 
The way to victory, the way to God's ways being accomplished, isn't the way we expect. It is not through power in the way we might think. It is not through dominance and over, overpowering people, no. It isn't through flashy things, it isn't through influential things, it isn't the thing this world thinks is amazing and, and look at this. No, he says, I'm going to work my purposes out in weakness and in powerlessness and in the despised things of this world. Now, that should encourage us. Maybe this morning you feel weak and powerless and what good can I do? Well, God says, I'm going to use you to help move my purposes forward. In your weakness, where you feel most vulnerable and needy, God says, I can use that for my glory. That is the great news of um, Jesus, that he his weakness was used then for strength. Do you see, it's upside down. It's not the way we think. We think everything needs to be flashy and, and impressive uh, and kind of impressive for, for people to see. But Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm weak. And I won through losing. The way up is actually the way down. There's so many examples of this throughout church history, but one that I read most recently um, was in Tramp for the Lord, a book by Corrie ten Boom, not Hiding Place, but she read, wrote another book about traveling around the world telling her story. And in this book, she ends up meeting a lady from Russia, uh, and she was in Russia in the time of the communist persecution, and communists wanted all the Christians dead, and, and they persecuted them and during the Cold War. And this old woman she met was lying on a sofa in communist Russia, and she was propped up by some pillows. And Corrie Boom said that her body was bent and twisted beyond recognition. Uh, she had MS, and her husband spent all of his time kind of tending her and looking after her because she wasn't able to move off the sofa. Um, the only part of her body that worked was she had one finger that worked. It was her index finger. And do you know what she did? For years, she glorified God by using a typewriter. One finger one letter at a time. And what did she do? She translated Christian books into Russian, all by one finger at a time. You know, tap, 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 tap. She typed out the pages, portions of the Bible translated into Russian, books of Christian authors into Russian. And her husband said, not only does she translate books, but she prays for these people every day while she types. Sometimes it takes a long time for her finger to hit the key or for her to get the paper into the machine but all the time she's praying for those whose books she is working on. And this is what Kari Tenboom writes. I looked at her wasted form on the sofa, her he head pulled down and her feet curled under her body. Oh Lord, why won't you heal her? I cried inwardly. Her husband, sensing my anguish of soul, gave the answer. God has a purpose in her sickness. Every other Christian in the city is watched by the secret police. But because she has been sick so long, no one ever looks in on her. They leave us alone. And she's the only person in all the city who can type quietly. Who could, how can God get the gospel out in communist Russia? There's a weak woman lying on a sofa who can't move, but she can move her finger. In weakness, there is strength. That's how God's kingdom moves forward, in weakness. So that means we can admit when we struggle, because it's through weakness God works. It means that we don't have to be the flashiest, most impressive uh, thing in, in the world because it's through weakness God's work, God works. It doesn't excuse us not to try and do things well, but you know what I'm saying. We do things and we do them weakly, but we do them in God's power. It is in our weakness God works. When we feel feeble, when we feel like giving up, 
lean on God and in our weakness we can be strong. We follow the path of our Saviour. There is victory through the Lamb that was slain. And there's a huge encouragement again in our weakness here, verse 8. Um, he's taken the scroll and the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fall down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense. And what's this golden bowl full of incense? What is it a symbol of? The prayers of the saints. So Jesus takes the scroll. Okay, this is a huge moment. Jesus is worthy to unroll the story of history. And we're told right in the mix of all of this going on is this golden bowl with incense coming out of it. And it's a symbol of something. What is it a symbol of? The prayer of the saints. Right around the throne of heaven, in the power source of the universe, in the engine room, as it were, of the universe, where all things happen, right around there are the prayers of believers. Now, imagine being a first-century Christian at this moment, reading that. Here they are, and they feel like nobodies. They are being taken and sent to the lions. They are being, um, having their head drilled a hole in and molten lead being poured in just for being a Christian. They've been refused um, so many of the privileges that people have because they trust in Jesus. They feel forgotten and ignored because Caesar hates them. And yet, what do they read here? My prayers are around the throne of heaven. God hears me when I cry out. I have his attention. And it's, it's in a golden bowl. It is precious to him. All their tears, all their groans surrounding the throne. Now think of your prayers for a moment. You might be embarrassed by them. If we're honest, we can think, look at our prayer lives and think, oh, what, what have I done? You know, I'm failing in this. Perhaps sometimes you've had 10 seconds just to pray in the morning. And you say, God, I need you today. Help me. That's it. Perhaps sometimes that's all you can pray is help me. Perhaps sometimes that's all you can manage is a groan because you can't get the words out. Maybe you've just been crying tears and you might think, what difference has that made? Look at what we're told here. Your prayers are in precious golden bowls in heaven, as it were. They are precious to God. He hears your cries, so don't give up. Keep speaking, keep praying. So this week, cry out to God, because he hears. You might think, oh, well, what, what difference can a, a weak cry make? I think of, a, think of a mother and a child. A baby cries out. It gets the mother from one side of the room in an instant, can't it? Just a weak cry. Our Father in heaven hears us. So cry out to him. Even if our words feel all tumbled and mumbled and jumbled up. Even if we can't get the words out. God understands and he knows what we need. Take it to him. So as you pray this, this week. As you spend time, maybe in the morning, in the middle of the day, in the evening, as you cry out to him, remember they are precious words before the God of heaven, before the, the engine room of the universe. God hears and he cares. You see, in the weakness of Christians' prayers, there is strength. There is a shape to the story. It's an unexpected shape because victory comes through the weak lamb. So this morning, let's admit our weaknesses and our needs and say, God, please use us in our weakness. The last thing is this. There's a, there is a story. There's a hero in the story. There's a shape to the story, and there is a happy ending to the story. And if you've watched many arty films, I went through a phase of watching a lot of arty thing, films, thinking it was cool to watch them. They are kind of critics love them, and everybody else kind of thinks, 
what's going on here? <laughs> what, what's happening? Because what happens in some of these, uh, these films is people try and, they try and mess with the structure of a story. So you're watching it and you, you feel disorientated because you don't really know who the hero is or what's happening. And the endings, they're usually vague and they don't really come down and they don't really resolve. It's kind of the same with 20th century or 21st century music, music written in the last 100 years in the classical world. It's, it sounds like a mess because they're trying to play about with all the rules that we know. And so things won't resolve at the end of a piece, they'll just leave you hanging. And it sounds disorientating. Why is it that you can watch a film without a good ending or read a book with a sad ending or hear a piece of music that doesn't resolve and it makes us feel uneasy? Why is it? Because built into the fabric of the universe is a happy ending for those who trust in Jesus. There is a story and there is a conclusion and there is a great author who is bringing these things to pass and at the end of Revelation we see there is an ending, a happy ending for all those trusting in Jesus because he does fix this world. He does bring a new heavens and a new earth. And all because the lamb was slain. So Revelation 22 ends like this. Or it starts like this, sorry, in the last chapter. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, a tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were healing of the nations. No longer was there anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. You see, that is where it's headed, this new creation. And when heaven realizes that Jesus is worthy to open the scroll, there is not left locked away and unable to be accomplished, he is worthy, what happens? Well, there is an explosion of celebration of joy. Look at verses 11 and 12. They say, and they looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands. So you've got 100 million numbers we can't even imagine of, of angels praising and rejoicing. And what are they saying? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Here they are, full of joy and praising. We're told in verse 8 that they are each hold these um, 24 elders are holding a harp. And again, a harp back then, sometimes we can think of the, the big Welsh harps that are playing nice kind of soft music. But the harp then was one you would grab, the comedy to say, that you would grab and it would be a foot-tapping type music. You know, joy, excitement. So um, Don Carson says the equivalent he thinks of is a banjo. You know, that kind of foot-tapping kind of, come on, let's celebrate. Get up and, and rejoice. That's the idea. And this is, so whatever the equivalent is in your head of foot-tapping music that gets you excited and going and joyful, that is what has happened here. It's a place of noise, of joy, of celebration, because Jesus is worthy. And it ends, doesn't it, in chapter 5, by saying, verse 13, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb be blessing, honour, glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and they fell down and worshipped. The whole of creation is now rejoicing. Remember Revelation, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 8, it tells us that when the earth, when the world fell, creation was subjected to futility and creation itself is longing to be set free from this bondage and it is in the groans of childbirth until now. So creation is groaning now, but here we see it is rejoicing. This is what it's made for, rejoicing and praising God. And one day that is where we are headed. There is the loud Amen. 
this will be accomplished. There is an ending, a joyful ending. So you see, they, they have Jesus in the center, and he is the one worthy to unroll these scrolls and say, look, the story will come to pass. And they are rejoicing, they are celebrating because of him. Now, when it comes to thinking of how this helps us, I think having that hope of a happy ending is a glorious thing for us to remember. And we thought about that a few weeks ago when we thought about heaven. But notice here as well, what are we doing this morning? When we meet on a Sunday, it's a taste, it should be a taste of heaven. Because we are gathering with those in chapters four and five to praise King Jesus. It is supposed to kind of realign our hearts with the truth that Jesus is the one worthy to open the scroll that Jesus is the one who will bring all these things to pass, that the lion and the lamb will accomplish the purposes of God the Father. And so we put our trust in him. So when we gather on a Sunday, it is a chance for us to say, right, this is what's true again. Okay, let's take off the glasses I've accidentally put on this week, and I'm putting on the glasses of Revelation 4 and 5. Jesus rules and reigns. He is bringing things to pass. He's the lion and the lamb. Are you feeling discouraged this morning? Look to Jesus, the conquering lamb. Are you feeling distressed or directionless this morning? Look to Jesus, the conquering lamb. Are you feeling weary, tired of life? Look to Jesus, the conquering lamb. If you're feeling confused or what's going on, feel like giving up. Look to Jesus, the conquering lamb. There is a story. There is a hero of that story. There is a shape to the story that is unexpected and there is a happy ending to that story. Let's pray as we reflect on these things together and sing in a moment. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are worthy to receive glory and honour and power. And we ask, please, that you would help us to put the glasses, as it were, the lenses of Revelation 4 and 5 on and that we trust in the one who is worthy to open that scroll. Lord, if we are not yet on the side of King Jesus, would today, this morning, be a time where we say, Jesus, I want to be with you. This glorious lion, this wonderful lamb, willingly dying in our place and taking our blame. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.